Hey guys, welcome to another episode in the Futile Podcast. In this episode, we'll be taking a slight detour from usual film stuff, and we'll be discussing a short story by O. Henry. It's called The Psyche and Skyscraper. So here with me is Sagar, as usual, because he's a kind of literature guy. I thought he'd be giving us some fascinating insights, a deep dive into the story or something. So hi, Sagar. Hey man. So, so did you read the story? Yeah, I'm glad okay. that we are doing this uh, short story thing now. Yeah. So when did you start? Before we like dive into it right now, I want mm. to ask you like when did you start reading O. Henry and what else have you read by O. Henry? So to be frank, uh, I had a book called The Best of O. Henry. Like I purchased it a couple yeah. of months ago, but I never got the chance to actually go through it. And mm-hmm. the psyche and the skyscraper is like the fourth. O Henry story I read uh okay. I had read the voice of the city uh-huh. uh the Madison square arabian night and the pride of uh, the city so the, I had read these three from the book and then okay. the fourth one was the psyche and skyscraper and before that obviously we all know being indian indian kids we all might have read this story the last leaf yeah it was a part of uh english uh, school syllabus and yeah uh, the last leaf has also been adapted into a film called lutera by uh, vikramaditya motwane so we are familiar with uh, o henry but uh, n- not very much like we know the name synonymous with literature but not many of us know with uh, what exactly makes him special or yeah something like that so i'll start with what exactly making special since you have ask me this yeah. thing yeah so o henry is someone known for his stories if you look mm. at the story mm. in general like the psyche and the skyscraper mm. it is very different from all the other o henry stories yeah first of all o henry is very known for you know this kind of a twist at the ending of the tale yeah yeah uh, and like this story i don't know like this story doesn't have that thing hmm but he is also known for these slice of life stories and perspective changing stories which impacts you in a very deep manner but the stories yeah. you mentioned by o henry i haven't read those okay what i have read by o henry is a short story called the gift of the magi okay after 20 years oh okay That's, these these two short stories will be my main reference points so Okay. both of them have a twist at the ending and this story doesn't have that thing again short okay. story very very interesting medium because it can impact you within the usage of limited words and limited space and time and o henry is someone who can get your attention who can like you know seep into your mind and change your perspective immediately yeah psychian skyscraper yeah. actually kind of did that so through the first half of the story i had a different perspective and in the second half he completely changes it so yeah, yeah we'll get into that before that i tried to read the story please go easy on me this is the first time i'm reading a story so sit back relax and bear with me psyche and the skyscraper if you're a philosopher you can do this thing you can go to the top of a high building look down upon your fellow men 300 feet below and despise them as insects 
like the irresponsible black water bugs on summer ponds they crawl and circle and hustle about idiotically without aim or purpose they do not even move with the admirable intelligence of ants for ants always know when they are going home the ant is of a lowly station but he will often reach home and get his slippers on while you are left at your elevated station man then to the house top philosopher appears to be but a creeping contemptible beetle brokers poets millionaires boot blacks beauties hot carriers and politicians become little black specks dodging bigger black specks in streets no wider than your thumb from this high view the city itself becomes degraded to an unintelligible mass of distorted buildings and impossible perspectives the revered ocean is a duck pond the earth itself a lost golf ball all minutiae of life are gone the philosopher gazes into the infinite heavens above him and allows his soul to expand to the influence of his new view he feels that he is the heir to eternity and the child of time space too should be his by right of his immortal heritage and he thrills at the thought that some day his kind shall traverse those mysterious aerial roads between planet and planet the tiny world beneath his feet upon which this towering structure of steel rests as a speck of dust upon himalayan mountain it is but one of a countless number of such whirling atoms what are the ambitions the achievements the paltry conquests and loves of those restless black insects below compared with the serene and awful immensity of the universe that lies above and around their insignificant city it is guaranteed that the philosopher will have these thoughts they have been expressly compelled from the philosophers of the world and set down with proper interrogation point at the time of them to represent the invariable musings of deep thinkers on high places and when the philosopher takes the elevator down his mind is broader his heart is at peace and his conception of cosmogony of creation is as wide as the buckle of orion's summer belt but if your name happened to be daisy and you worked in an 8th avenue candy store and lived in a little cold hall bedroom 5 feet by 8 and earned $6 per week and ate 10 cent lunches and were 19 years old and got up at 6:30 and worked till 9 and never studied philosophy maybe things wouldn't look the way to you from the top of a skyscraper two sides for the hand of daisy the unphilosophical one was joe who kept the smallest store in new york it was about the size of a toolbox of the dpw and stuck like a swallow's nest against the corner of a downtown skyscraper its stock consisted of fruit candies newspapers song books cigarettes and lemonade in season when stern winter shook his congealed logs and joe had to move himself and the fruit inside there was exactly room in the store for the proprietor his waist a stuff the size of a vinegar cruet and one customer joe was not of the nation that keeps us forever in furor with fugues and fruit he was a capable american youth who was laying by money and wanted daisy to help him spend it three times he asked her i got money saved up daisy was his love song and you know how bad i want you the store of mine ain't very big but oh ain't it would be the antiphony of the unphilosophical one why i heard wanamaker's was trying to get you to the sublet part of your floor space to them for next year daisy passed joe's corner every morning and evening 
Hello, 2x4 was her usual greeting. Seems to me your store looks emptier. You must have stolen a package of chewing gum. Ain't much room in here, sure. Joey would answer with a slow grin. Except for you, Daze. Me and the store are waiting for you. Whoever you'll take us. Don't you think you might before long? Store? A fine scorn was expressed by Daisy's uptilted nose. Sardine box waiting for me, you say? Gee, you'd have to throw out about a hundred pounds of candy before I could get inside of it, Joe. I wouldn't mind an even swamp like that, said Joe complimentarily. Daisy's existence was limited in every way. She had to walk sideways between the courier and the shelves in the candy store. In her own hall bedroom, coziness had been carried close to cohesiveness. The walls were so near to one another that the paper on them would make perfect babel of noise. She could light the gas with one hand and close the door with other without taking her eyes off the reflection of her own brown pompadour in the mirror. She had Joe's picture in a gilt frame on the dresser. And sometimes, but her next thought would always be of Joe's funny little store tacked like a soapbox to the corner of a great building and away would go her sentiment in a breeze of laughter. Daisy's other suitor followed Joe by several months. He came to the board in the house where she lived. His name was Dabster, and he was a philosopher. Though young, attainments stood upon him like continental labels on a Pashyak suitcase. Knowledge he had kidnapped from cyclopedias and handbooks of useful information. But as for wisdom, when she passed, he was left sniffing in the road without so much as the number of a motor car. He could and would tell you the proportion of water and muscle-making properties of peace and wheel, the shortest verse in Bible, the number of pawns of shingle nails required to fasten 256 shingles laid 4 inches to the weather, the population of Kanaki, the theories of Spinoza, the name of Mr. H. Meketwamli's second hall footman, the length of Husak Tunnel, the best time to set a hen, the salary of the railway post office messenger between driftwood and red bank furnace and the number of bones in the foreleg of a cat. The weight of learning was no handicap to Dabster. His statistics were the sprigs of parsley with which he garnished the feet of small talk that he would set before if he convinced that to be your taste. And again, he used them as breastworks in foraging at the boarding house. Finding at you a volume of figures concerning the weight of a lineal foot of bar iron 5 cross 2 thirds and the average rainfall of 4th snelling, he would transfix with his fork the best piece of chicken on the dish while you were trying to rally sufficiently to ask him weakly why does a hen cross the road. Thus, brightly armed and further equipped with a measure of good looks, of a hairy oily, Shopping district at three in the afternoon kind, it seems that Joe of Lilliputian Emporium had a rival worthy of his steel. But Joe carried no steel. There wouldn't have been room in his store to draw it if he had. One Saturday afternoon, about four o'clock, Daisy and Mr. Dabster stopped before Joe's booth. Dabster wore a silk hat. And well, Daisy was a woman. And that hat had no chance to get back in its box until Joe had seen it. A stick of pineapple chewing gum was the ostensible object of the call. Joe supplied it through the open side of his store. He did not pale or falter at the sight of the hat. Mr. Dabs was taking me to the top of the building to observe the view, said Daisy after she had introduced her admirers. I never was on a skyscraper. It must be awful nice and funny up there. Hmm, said Joe. The panorama, said Mr. Dabstow, 
exposed to the gaze from the top of a lofty building is not only sublime but instructive. Miss Daisy has a decided pleasure in store for her. It's windy up there too, as well as here, said Joe. Are you dressed warm enough, Daisy? Sure thing, I'm all lined, said Daisy, smiling slightly at his clouded brow. You look just like a mummy in a case, Joe. Ain't you just put in an invoice of a pint of peanuts or another apple? Your store looks awful overstocked. Daisy giggled at her favorite joke, and Joe had to smile with her. Your quarters are somewhat limited, Mr. Uh, remarked Dabstow, in comparison with the size of this building. I understand the area of this site to be about 340 by 100 feet. That would make you occupy a proportionate space as if half of Baluchistan was placed upon territory as large as United States east of Rocky Mountains with the province of Ontario and Belgium added. Is that so, sport? said Joey genially. Your Vaisen humor on figures, all right? How many square pounds of ballad hay do you think a jackass could eat if he stopped braying long enough to keep still? A minute and five-eighths. A few minutes later, Daisy and Mr. Dabster stepped from the elevator to the top floor of the skyscraper, then up a short steep stairway and out upon the roof. Dabster led her to the parapet, to the parapet so she could look down at the black dots moving in street below. What are they? she asked, trembling. She had never been on a height like this before. And then Dabster must needs play the philosopher on the tower. and conduct her soul forth to meet the immensity of space bipeds he said solemnly so what you think become even at the small elevation of 340 feet mere crawling insects going to and fro at random oh they ain't of that kind they're folks i saw an automobile oh gee are we that high up walk over this way said dabster He showed her the great city lying like an orderly array of toys far below, starred here and there, early as it was, by the first beacon lights of winter afternoon, and then the bay and sea to the south and east vanishing mysteriously into the sky. I don't like it," declared Daisy with troubled blue eyes. "Say we go down." But the philosopher was not to be denied his opportunity. He would let her behold the grandeur of his mind. the half nelson he had on the infinite and the memory he had for statistics and then she would never more be content to buy chewing gum at the smallest store in new york and so he began to prate of the smallness of human affairs and how the even slow slight of removal from earth made man and his works look like the tenth part of a dollar thrice computed and that one should consider the sidereal system and maxims of epictetus and be comforted you don't carry me with you said daisy Say I think it's awful to say I think it's awful to be so high what folks look like fleas one of them we saw might have been joe white jimney we might as well be in new jersey say i'm afraid up here the philosopher smiled furiously the earth said he is itself only as grain of feet in space look up there daisy gazed upward apprehensively the shortest day was spent and the stars were coming out above yonder star said dabster is venus the evening star she is 66 million miles away from sun fudge said daisy with a brief flash of spirit where do you think i come from brooklyn suzy prince is our store her brother sent her a ticket to go to san francisco that's only 3000 miles the philosopher smiled indulgently our world he said is 91 million miles from the sun 
there are 18,000 stars of the first magnitude that are 211,000 times further from us than the sun is. If one of them is to be extinguished, it would be 3 years before we would see its light go out. There are 6,000 stars of 6th magnitude. It takes 36 years for the light of one of them to reach the earth. With an 18-foot telescope, we can see 43 million stars, including those of 13th magnitude, where light takes 2,700 years to reach us. Each of these stars... You are lying, cried Daisy angrily. You are trying to scare me and you have. I want to go down. She stumped her foot. Architrus began the philosopher soothingly, but he was interrupted by a demonstration out of the vastness of nature that he was endeavouring to portray with his memory instead of his heart. For to the heart expounder of nature, the stars were set in firmament expressly to give soft light to lovers wandering happily beneath them. And if you stand tiptoe some September night with your sweetheart on your arm, you can almost touch them with your hand. Three years for the light to reach us, indeed. Out of the left leaped a meteor, lighting the roof of the skyscraper almost to midday. Its fiery parabola was limped against the sky toward the east. It hissed as it went, and Daisy screamed. Take me down, she cried vehemently, you mental arithmetic. Dabster got her to the elevator, and inside of it, she was wild-eyed, and she was shuddered when the express made its debilitating drop. Outside the revolving door of the skyscraper, the philosopher lost her. She vanished and he stood bewildered without figures or statistics to aid him. Joe had a lull in trade and by squimmering among his stocks succeeded in lighting a cigarette and getting one cold foot against the attenuated stuff. The door was bust open and Daisy, laughing, crying, scattering fruit and candies, tumbled into his arms. Oh, Joe! I've been on the skyscraper. Ain't it cozy and warm and home-like in here? I'm ready for you, Joe, whenever you want me. So thank you for listening that. Uh, if you're still listening to this, thank you. You survived. Now we come to the better part, discussing it. So Saga, yeah. what are your uh, first thoughts on the story? Because the best part about this is this was written in July 1912. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's like what 108 years ago and still yeah. this story it's quite as relevant as it is like 108 years ago yeah this is what uh, defines classic when it you know stands the test of time and is still relevant today hmm. in hmm. today's society because uh, again like this is kind of if i can use the word slice of life for literature hmm. this is one hmm. of those kind of stories this is this can also be looked upon as some blatant criticism on philosophers. Yeah. In a way. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. See, because uh, that's what I had. Because through the first half of the story, you feel like uh, uh, how insignificant our struggles are, how yeah. unremarkable our lives are compared to the immensity of this world and the universe. But when you read the story, the film, the, the story actually details more about this unremarkable uh, nature of a human daily life than the you know unimaginable vastness of the uh, universe let yeah. it be describing uh, joe's store or her uh, daisy's home 
we we know how confined their uh, lives are like literally physically they will in, they live in cramped spaces even but this they, philosopher guy for that matter of fact but what i feel is the way uh, uh, o henry describes their lives okay like yeah. uh, let it be jo store or her house we know uh, he emphasizes more on the tightness and the uh the smallness of their places like physically uh, yes, how yes. small these places are and the fact that he emphasizes more on these than the uh, you know eternity and the space the immortality and everything that clearly tells that this guy is going to mock the philosopher yeah and i i didn't expect it kind of uh, at least uh, reading through the first half of it and in the second half it completely changes yeah we hmm. all look at these things like philosophy and everything from a very uh, like we look up to them basically yeah again like just we like you know we raise our heads up to look at a skyscraper hmm but what this guy tries to tell is that you know the if you look at this guy joe he has his own way of life yeah and so does like daisy both of them has their own way of life and they both of them like kind of resonate each other's way of life and yeah so what this guy is trying to tell is also that you know you don't have to be a philosopher to have a philosophy that philosophy is basically your way of life it is uh, this this philosopher's criticism thing that's pretty evident i was like okay when i read the first line or the first sentence in this i was like okay he is making some sense he already started to make some sense and mm. like he is slowly delving into this idea and he mm. slowly explores the lives of these people it is unfolding mm. layer by layer mm. there are a lot of uh, i mean he criticizes the philosopher for using yeah. a lot of facts and figures but yeah. the discussion itself is also like including of how much they earn how much their lunch costs and like when do they wake yeah. up when do they sleep and everything again yeah. like this is something i'd love to call the profound in the mundane yeah 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 it is that sort of a story and slowly you know like getting into the depths of this criticism and also giving into the lives of these people again the first thing that comes into my mind is because wow. you don't have to be you know you don't have to just go up there and look at people from down and criticize mm-hmm. them and you know like you don't have to be an altruist basically he's saying yeah see yeah. because uh, while while reading the first few paragraphs you feel like uh, wow this guy is like maybe we should live like a philosopher you know yeah. uh, uh not taking all our materialistic problems like let it be a uh, tiny homes or lack of money and resources and maybe we should uh, see it from a broader perspective from that aerial view like the philosopher sees you know uh, yeah. we all look like black uh, insects when uh, when we are seen from the top maybe 350 feet above but it's only after a couple of paragraphs into it once you get to know uh joe and daisy you understand like it doesn't really matter actually uh, regardless of how we appear from the above considering our lives are truly uh deep and uh, you know three dimensional what yeah. actually matters is 
our lives only like you know that's what the ending of the story also says like for few people philosophy doesn't just matter in their lives the existence yeah. of philosophy is going to add no value to their lives because yeah. they are so focused uh, uh with their daily uh, course or their lives you know the pattern of their lives that they are so busy with that and there's nothing wrong in it because uh, maybe we might have read stories or seen films that say break the mold you know break the monotony explore something be philosophical but this story uh, it turns the tables it says don't be like a philosopher just live your life and there's nothing wrong in it i think that's what uh, you know uh, i've never read a story like this you know find peace in mundanity that's what uh, i like the most about this it adds ki like being a philosopher adds nothing to you and also it is more or less like this philosopher is having an elitist perspective of life he's clearly yeah. looking down upon these people like joe and daisy as insignificant people when he is calling them yeah and yeah like literally again, he's looking down, looking, down, looking down on people and treating them like ants and you're mm. not looking for the you know universal good of people or whatever mm. like, how are you contributing anything like what yeah i see that you know something is wrong with your philosophy too yeah 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 maybe this is uh, i always had this thing you know my perspective while reading at least the first two paragraphs was that yeah i mean all our daily struggles actually don't matter when uh, put against uh, how yeah. big the universe is but but it's only after you know Uh, reading through and reading through daisy's struggles or not struggles uh, see daisy doesn't consider them struggle or joe doesn't consider them struggle it's a, only it's the philosopher does yeah it's a way of life it's a way of life it's only yeah. after that i had this uh, sense of realization and sense for uh, of empathy that uh, i might be joe or i might be daisy and i'm happy with whatever i have i don't have to be a philosopher i don't have to look down upon people uh, those in need or those who have less than me basically it's like uh, you don't need to attain a sense of nirvana uh, in order to stay happy that's what this fil- that's what that's what this uh, story is all about sometimes just living by your life is also good i know it's contradictory to lot of our conversations and lot of uh, films but yeah. that's what it 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 contradicts almost every zoya akhtar film and every imtiaz ali film <laughs> again i was yeah. recently like watching tamasha again for a podcast okay and yeah i i just uh, was after watching this guy's character and how he's reacting and everything i just reminded mm. myself okay this guy might be just a modern example of sisyphus so who's that sisyphus is a greek mythology creature or a being whose mm-hmm. job is to you know carry a boulder and okay and push it you know upwards towards the mountain okay and it will obviously roll down and when it rolls down you know he should get down and he should push it up oh he is someone okay carrying the burden all his life and albert yeah. camus he wrote mm. a book he is a philosopher he wrote a book called the myth of sisyphus okay in which he says you know the struggle itself towards the heights is enough to fill a man's heart 
one must imagine sisyphus happy hmm this guy is not being futile but this guy is happy doing whatever he is doing that's what mm. he wants to say wow wow i mean you know there's just so much to dig in this in this you know four page story yeah but I mean, again if we go too deep in anything <laughs> yeah 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 it it backfires yeah it backfires yeah so and it is always told to you you know in like philosophy classes and everything you must have mm-hmm. a very you know apathetic attitude towards philosophy uh, you should just study it as a subject you should just know all <laughs> kinds of facts and answers and being you should study about existential crisis you must not get into existential crisis while studying about it <laughs> uh, guys read the story maybe it will change your perspective about philosophy and about whatever the films and stories that you have read so far have been feeding about philosophy or uh, this short story might put a check to them and maybe offer a new perspective to your understanding so thank yeah. you for joining uh, it's a short episode we'll see you soon thank you for joining sagar